This show is brought to you by our sponsor, Bitheads. They are a staple in the tech community I come from and have done incredible work over the past 18 years with some of the largest brands in the world, including The Simpsons, Tapped Out, Box, Optimal Payments, The New York Times, among many, many, many others. All told, they've built over 500 solutions from enterprise to entertainment. I'm proud to have them as a part of Untether.tv. Please support us by supporting them. Go to bitheads.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Untethered.tv. I'm your host and founder, Rob Woodbridge. How does a founder go from investment banking and doing M&As to an expert in personal safety and then building a mobile company that has saved four lives since February? This is of 2014. We're recording this in July of 2014. How does he save four lives just using his app? My guest today is Peter Cahill. He is the founder of Lifeline Response. He's in Chicago. Peter got so much to talk about, but welcome, my friend. It is a pleasure to have you on Untether.tv. Oh, thanks, Rob. It's a pleasure to join you. I, uh, I st astounded. You know, I was at your website uh, a while back. It pops up, uh, you know, your little response to see if there's any questions, a little Q&A, uh, live Q&A. And it said that. It said that you have saved four lives since February. Yeah. Before we tell that story, let's have the conversation about what Lifeline Response is. Yeah, it's a, it's a mobile safety application. Um, we really call it a platform because it's not really an app uh, designed to disrupt and prevent an attack at the moment of impact. And we specifically use our patent technology, and it's very simple. It's a natural response to an, to an event of an attack. So Susie's walking down the street. She's attacked. Her instincts are going to be to drop that phone because she's going to be attacked. Her finger's going to be on that phone. It's going to release the touchpad. In a tenth of a millisecond, we have all our data. We understand that that's how the sequence of events takes place. So we spent probably about a year in investigation and research, R&D. Uh, we engaged criminologists and psychologists. We actually interviewed 1,500 repeat offenders, pedophiles, abductee victims, rape victims, assault victims to kind of come up with the kind of conclusion that the prevention efforts start at the moment of impact. It's astounding. You did that in a year. What was the reason for doing? I want to start at the very beginning. I mean, this, yeah. there's there's always a catalyst here. Yeah, there there, there really is. Uh, so my background is, as you said, uh, is investment. Nothing bank. to do with this. Yeah, nothing <laughs> to do with this. So I went from making a lot of money, um, to making no money. So entrepreneurship. I I encourage it. Um, <laughs> the truth is that um, I had a family member touched by assault about 37 years ago uh, at a major university, Northwestern. Chicago and um, stuck with our family um, and then 2011 uh, I had two nieces uh, that were attempted abduction from the second wealthiest suburb in the United States what? and uh, yeah uh, two 13 year old girls walking home and uh, made the national news um, and uh, unfortunately uh, that was my catalyst um, I had the means to financial means to be able to kind of self-fund this um, for a period of time and kind of do the investigation to hire the psychologists and the criminologists and that's really um, to me that's what I had to do uh, I felt almost compelled to do it um, and I whiteboarded it for about a year after the research so this started in 2010 with the research 2011 I whiteboarded in 2012 we announced uh, the launch and uh, I had to make sure that there was actually a profitable model um, as much as I'd love to be do this um, for free, I, I just can't, unfortunately. Um, and the catalyst to me was that something needed to be done. Um, while crime as a whole is going down in the United States, and this is really abroad, uh, crosses several countries as well, across the Europe, across Canada as well. Uh, violent crime is actually going up, um, and I felt that what's what's the catalyst for that? What is the reason for that? Um, you could blame media. You could blame outlets, you can play, you know, technology, uh, the means to be able to stock better. I don't know what the reasons are. Um, but we did find that prevention needed to take place, and the only way it took place was at that moment of impact, when you could do nothing else. So we're really bridging the gap between safe and unsafe is really the goal of what the application 
or platform does. You know, it, it, it's interesting because what, you, what you're talking about is, is you identify the problem because you're affected by it personally. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then you sit back and it's such a big problem. And people have been attacking this problem since crime has attacked people. You know what I mean? Like this is something that obviously there are people looking at this all the time about how to be, how to prevent these crimes. And that includes incarceration, longer term, stiffer penalties to, you know, castration in some nations and, you know, and, um, and, and death in others. So like the, the, there's a wide spectrum. Why, why did you think, why do you think at the time that you could solve or help with this problem? I saw what was being done. So as part of that research, as I said, I mean, that, that was a, that was a exhausting process. No kidding. Psychologists and criminologists that speak a different language, and it was kind of like the coke syrup. I like to say I had three people from different expertise. Uh, one of victims, uh, basically psychologist, one a criminologist, and it was the coke syrup. <laughs> they had no idea what they were collecting. Uh, they were collecting data for me to analyze. Um, why did I think so? Because I look at all the things that have been done. Um, you look at gun control, legislation just doesn't fucking work. <laughs> it does not. Uh, if you look at legislation, Chicago has the stringest gun controls in the United States, and yet it is the murder capital of the world for guns. Something needs to be done. Um, I don't think equipping a 12-year-old with a revolver is necessarily the right answer. I also know that 85% of the time, mace is used or pepper spray is used against the victim. It's not effective because you're not trained in pepper spray, and you can't walk around going on a date saying, "Hey, oh, this guy feel kind of, feels kind of rapey." Spray him. It's just not effective. Um, so that that was the things that were being done, and I, I thought they were very antiquated models, um, and they were uh, very conservative models. Um, and I said, "Well, let's let's research this a little bit further. Let's actually see if we can make a prevention work um, instead of talking about it." Legislation you talked about specifically about specifically you spoke of the fact that people have been trying to solve these problems for years and, and they're taking an old school approach to a problem that's been around forever and, and sometimes you have to use technology and it, listen I'm by no means a genius it is a thumb um, that thumb just happens to be nobody else decided to use it or even think about it so we took a simple problem and sometimes the easiest solutions are the right solutions. So, I mean, how early on in this research did you start to see the practical, uh, uh, you know, applicability of mobile to, to this in the smartphones and the infrastructure that it was emerging at that time, you know, 2010, 2011? Yeah, well, great question. So there were 66 million smartphones in 2010. It grew within two years based on my projections and the algorithm, or the, actually the um, pro forma I put together for user adoption, not of even of our application, just of the growing market and mobility. Um, and I saw uh, that that grow, I mean, from 56, 60 million to over 100 million by the next year. And then we're at what, 160, 163 right yeah, now? Yeah. Penetration in the United States, yeah. Yep. We're programmed to have 240 in the United States by next year. Yeah. Um, I, I see that as something that it's affordable. Um, it's you can buy an Android phone for $20 and you can buy an iPhone for $500. Um, there's no barrier of entry for the phone. Right. And mobility piece was key for us because creating peripheral devices, people have enough shit that they're carrying around. They don't want to carry something else around. You know, so I was... It's funny, you know, the simplicity, right? Because uh, people would um, handle, hand out uh, whistles, for example. So if you're in trouble on, on a campus, here's a whistle. And, and certainly yeah. in the late 80s, I remember in my city in Ottawa, um, nobody really understood uh, gay men and homosexuality. So there was a paranoia. So there was one place where you should never walk if you were a gay man. And I, I'm not one, but it, it was... But I remember this very clearly in the newspapers is they kept on getting beaten up. So they handed them whistles. And I thought, well, well that's really ridiculous, right? Because that just sounds an alarm to anybody who is interested in, in beating up somebody who's blowing a whistle. But it, it, it dawned on me. I was, I was uh, uh, on a whitewater canoe trip uh, with my family recently. And, uh, you know, the, uh, I was equipped with, uh, obviously, a life preserver, a life jacket. And uh, on the life jacket, on a whitewater uh, canoe, this is not rafting, whistle. there's a whistle. I'm like, <laughs> what the I, you, you know, there's there's effective and then there's ridiculous. If I'm drowning, I'm not blowing the whistle. You know, so and, and that I'll, I'll, that's another conversation. But I'm a I'm a rescue diver. 
um, in scuba. So I understand the whistles. Whistles are call to really to call the attention of the boat. Right. Um, a call attention was the operative word there. So um, yeah, I mean it, 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 it's what was being done. Um, it's not the most effective means. Uh, it's another means. I don't by all by all means. I don't believe that there is one final answer for this. Um, I think that training, education. I'm seeing a lot of these activists, um, former uh, young ladies and, and men that have been attacked, um, you know, advocating for education at a young age. You can't take the crazy out of crazy. No, you cannot. You you just simply cannot do it as much as you would like to do it. Um, if you have it instinctually in you, you're going to do it. And it's just a cover-up. Right. I, it's, it's, it's true. It's true. There's just sometimes there's no, no explaining it. Well, you know, I, I, I've got a question, though, around your background as an investment banker and, and doing these deals. Um, how, how much of an asset was that, that background in, in taking all the data that you were bringing in and then being able to assess whether there was a, a viable opportunity that would come of this? Yeah, you know that's a, you know I, I often say that I feel a little bit out of fish out of water, and, and I'll, I'll I'll say this for a for a laugh for the crowd. So I actually uh, to fit in a little bit. Now I'm in my I'm 41. Um, to fit in, I went out and bought a pair of red pants and white pants. So I felt like one of the hipsters. Um, it was it was valuable. Uh, I think my team finds it more valuable than I do. Um, I feel a little bit. Of, I'm a tech guy. I came you know I spent years in technology. Prior to that, investment banking spent time at Microsoft, Intel, um, Gtronics, um, but I'm not a technologist by any means. Um, the question, sorry, uh, the question is, is, is it valuable? Um, I think it was valuable from a standpoint of uh, my experience that I'm a little bit later stage startup than most people start. Um, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, misgivings about uh, fundraising, um, who you're dealing with. Uh, Wall Street has become, you know, we all know Wall Street is the arrogant community. Well, you know, the VC gets that community too because they dictate whether or not you get funded and whether a great idea can actually propagate and get out to the marketplace. Um, I see that, um, that I have more experienced conversations coming back from investment banking. So I know the, um, if they're spending too much time in a certain subject, they don't get it. Um, startups notoriously are pre-revenue. Um, we are not pre-revenue, um, but I do understand that that is a fundamental piece of how they margin. They want to walk away with 10x, right? I get it. Sometimes 15x. Um, look at WhatsApp, 21, 17 billion. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. 21 employees yeah. versus yeah. Uh, a company like Motorola that's got maybe 15 billion in revenues and 75,000 employees. Which way do you want to go there? Both, what both inventors just just selling at the at the prime versus selling at post prime, I suppose, is the yeah, is the key. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. So the, the answer to your question is is that I, I found it extremely valuable. I think more of uh, my age would be uh, more beneficial than that. Actually, do they look at you like, hey, man, like you're 41, you're crazy to jump into this, to dip below the poverty line for the first time, probably since your 20s, or yeah, do they look at you with admiration and think, way to go, dude, way to go. You know, TechStars has been awesome. Um, Wait, so, you were, but, so you were in TechStars. Like, were, were you uh, near the top in age of all the companies we, in it? We I, were. I, the I, don't know how to, I don't know how to say that politically. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So were you a senior citizen? It's okay. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. We had a great managing director, uh, John Fine, um, out in Kansas City. Yep. Um, we did it specifically. Uh, TechStars is immensely, uh, you know, I went in with a little degree of apprehension about tech stars, and I'll talk about this for a minute. Just saying, how can these guys teach me something? Old dog, I'm forty-one. Yes, yeah, forty-one. I've got probably more experience than some of the mentors, uh, which I did. Um, but it's it's a give-first community, and um, the access to like David Cohen, the president of Tech Stars, Brad Feld. I mean, it's been unprecedented. I've got a conversation with uh, David Cohen tomorrow to release some new technology that we're doing. John Fine, uh, you know, he, he, he's an advocate. I mean, you're sitting there rallying in your corner. He's like another team member. Um, so personally, I thought Techstars, for us, because of the mixture with Sprint, it was a Sprint Techstars-powered scenario um, because of the carriers, mobility. We wanted access to the carriers. We found that extremely advantageous. Um, 
Eric Wolschinger, the the project manager from Sprint, was just absolutely fabulous to deal with as well. Um, I believe that those relationships carry on much past um, just the Techstars event. You're, you're, you're a very exclusive club. Um, you really are, and I, I try to promote that. I don't know if some of the people internally believe how exclusive they are, but these are 500 teams total. Um, there's not many people that go through an opportunity like that, let alone create that synergy between the between the communities. So, it, it, I, did you have to um, like pack up your family and move somewhere? <laughs> that was uh, that was that was a little bit rough. <laughs> like, what do you how do you explain that? Well, I gotta go. I did. I just said, you know, so I'm a single father raising a little girl. Yeah. Um, so that's even more challenging. Yes. Uh, so it's just me raising a seven year old little girl who's just cute as a button, but. Um, I had to make a decision for, for our family, and I said that uh, asked family to get involved and help me personally, and um, I'm extremely grateful for them that they gave me the opportunity to go down there. Kansas City is great. The barbecue is great, but I'll still take my Twin Anchors ribs in Chicago. <laughs> I was going to say, you got the Royals versus the Cubs or the, or the White Sox, depending on what, what, what side you sit well, on. Well, right? you bite into it. Come on, you, you know baseball up there in Canada, so, you know. You're looking at a 130-year streak of losing in the cup, so I'll root anybody. <laughs> anybody but. Everybody anybody but. but. Right? Well, I'm an Expos fan, so you don't even get me started on that. Cause, uh, you Jeez, know, I remember those. those yeah. uh, I remember the, hey, they were, uh, they were a team ahead of their time. They were a formidable force back before there was, uh, yes, any, any kind of regulations that there are now today that would have <laughs> saved them. It's yeah. all changed. Well, so uh, you know, it, it's it's fascinating because you you graduate from uh, from TechStars, and uh, what was the response right out of the gate? Because your your mobile strategy, you yeah, know, the services split between a consumer version and an enterprise version application and and um, and service. Um, but how did TechStars shape you from the idea that you had in your head going in there to the idea that popped out when you left? <laughs> Great question. So we went in very strong. Um, I'm a pretty, you don't know me that well, Rob, but I have a very strong personality. It's, uh, but I do, uh, I absorb information. So we could be on the opposite ends after this conversation about a topic, no matter what it might be. But I will go back and stew on your idea for 24 hours, and I will process that information very quickly and come to a decision. I think that's probably my best trait. Don't have many, so I'll take that as one. Of my <laughs> um, we went in saying we're going retail all the way. If you look at our pro forma, retail is the way to go um, from a profitability standpoint. Um, it's just it, if you do the five-figure diagram, this represents enterprise and the rest is all uh, retail mm -hmm. uh, probabilities and opportunities. Um, they transformed how I thought personally uh, about whether to go after the enterprise or retail, where to spend my time. So my time was 50-50 before. Now it's 98% um, enterprise. enterprise and 2% retail. Retail is a, it's, it's a, it's a function of um, a, a fortune accident, uh, you know, a serendipity, um, and it's also the right timing for the right marketplace. So we went to the, I'll let you talk about that, but we were the number one app in the lifestyle category for five days. Um, that was after an appearance on Rachel Ray show. We believe strongly that if you win the enterprise market, uh, by proxy, you're going to win the retail market eventually. Um, this is not a fly-by-night company. This is not an app. This is a platform. Um, Full-fledged, 24 by 7, 365 call center manned with 75 people full-time, uh, exclusively dedicated to us. Lots of money went out on this. Um, to make sure that the integrity of the application or the product always works. It can't fail. We're not a Visa credit card company where you can slash the credit card and the credit card machine doesn't work. This has got to be up all the time. And because of that, I recruited some of the top talent in the industry. What's the, what, well, what's the difference between the two products? Uh, from a consumer? From sure. uh, the One is just a consumer-facing product. They're the exact same product. Um, one, we are having a new release. It's a community watch. Um, so you, the first thing you're going to see is a map when you launch the application. And you can go into thumb mode or timer mode after that. But it will say, hey, Rob's walking in this area. He reported that there is a crime. Um, you know, maybe it wasn't something you felt comfortable calling a police on. And you said, hey, I'm going to report this guy's you know, a little bit suspicious, but I'm not going to call 911. Um, your friend comes over two hours later. He's going to get reported that you made that report just to be on the, the alert, to keep the situational awareness up. 
And situational awareness is probably one of the biggest prevention efforts you can possibly make. Um, so the application is the exact same. What we do on the enterprise is actually provide um, predictive policing. So we can tell the universities, hospitals, or corporations, we deal with the largest pharmaceutical company in the world right now. They're our customer. They're using it for predictive policing, uh, specifically as their executives travel. Okay? They can see where areas where they feel unsafe. We feed that, that back to the university or hospital police. They can reroute their patrol patterns based on the information Come we provide. On. It's minority report, bro. That is amazing. Yeah. It is, it is, it is intensely cool. And we have it. It's not uh, sci-fi or vaporware. It's, it's in real time. It's like you've got some like precogs sitting in there, uh, basically, and, and, it's, and it's chunking the data. How, uh, how responsive is it, though? Is it, is it really that responsive? It is that responsive. I can get data. I, and we don't, we're not umbrella parents, so University of Ohio State, we actually provide back to the policing where are the routes that they take where they're holding their thumb or using the timer? It's amazing. So they can actually, so we actually can say, boy, there was a lot of activity. In fact, we have a specific situation. Um, at universities, for example, we're seeing a 7% decrease in overall crime as a result of our deployments. Come on. Yeah, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars of savings. So, and it's just based on allocating the right resources. Yeah. Think based on where people have their thumbs. Lights, right? You remember yep. the blue lights that you yep. see at campuses across the country? They're, do you think if you're the attacker, I'm the attacker, I'm going to attack you, I'm going to wait till you get to the blue light to press a button? <laughs> this is a blue light in your pocket that's always there. And it's always there. And we have some, you know, we can, we can tell you about some of the new technology that we're launching, which is even slicker. In about two weeks, I can. Maybe we'll do another session or something. Well, I think that would be that would be great. I'll, I'll tell you offline, Ashley. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah, uh, so uh, this is, I mean, it's it's fascinating. Do you think that the data opportunity is far greater than any kind of monthly service or app? It's you know we get that question a lot. Um, being the, uh, I'm a catalyst for transparency, right? Um, and I think. Candidly, I can't judge that yet. Um, with scale, I, I'm certainly um, an advocate for with scale, but to uh, you know, every pro forma I've ever looked at in the world is wrong. Um, you, you'll talk to some of the uh, smarter guys than me in the VC world, and they'll say, "I've never seen a correct um, pro forma." I don't talk about it um, from a financial. I talk about it from a prevention. Mm -hmm. um, with scale, yeah, 10 million users, this data, I mean, it's going to shape home prices because home prices are now affected by crime rates. Right. Now we know where people feel unsafe, and, and here's the shit of it. 85% of crimes happen where people feel unsafe intuitively. This is the first time they've ever had that data. It is absolutely incredible. I, mean, I live in a, a decent neighbor in neighborhood in a, in a decent city called Ottawa. Crime rate is very low. Like we always, every year, like eight murders a year in the city. Right? It's a very safe city to live in. Um, uh, you know, compared to compared to Chicago, right? Uh, you know, Canada has obviously different gun laws, and not not many people carry guns. Pretty much only criminals and police carry guns. Um, but uh, but here in my neighborhood, there's just been a rash of break-ins, right? Car break-ins, disruptions, bike thefts, all those kind of things. But they're all petty. They're all small. But banded together, I mean, all of us are out our window, looking at our window through the neighborhood to see if anybody's going to, you know, break in somebody's car. Who's next? Who's next? Who's right? next? But, but I think that the idea is to, we keep complaining. We're saying, like, we need better lights. We need a sidewalk, you know, everything like that. But the, the, the problem is, is that we don't have conclusive data because none of us are reporting these, these uh, thefts because they're not really stealing anything. They're just rooting through our stuff. So, so this would help kind of create that uh, argument as a result of, you know, if we are all documenting this in our neighborhood. And I think that's the beauty of it is that it's a concentrated area, like a campus, like you're talking about the pharmaceutical companies or like a business where you can get the concentrated data that you need in order to be able to affect change. Am I right? Yeah, it's absolutely, it's, it's, it's supportive data that does not lie. Yeah. Well, I, you know, we have 100% we have renewal on our customers, our enterprise, and we launched less than a year ago, right, uh, really. Um, the company was formed in 2012, but we really launched in February 2013, so we've been up and for a year, and so we had 100% renewal rates. 
And you know, and I talk about this. I said, well, is the word on the company if you have an opportunity to deploy, let's say, fifty thousand licenses? We'll sell fifty thousand licenses to Ohio State, um, or uh, you name the university, Nebraska, whatever the case may be. And we thought, well, geez, if if, if all fifty thousand people don't download it, we're in deep shit. Yeah. Well, we're not because what we found is that. Our application, specifically because of the easy use, has a 97% usage rate over the blue stationary lights that they have on campus. And it's a four-year adoption, let's be honest. Um, you know, kids got to gravitate. So that was one of the pieces that we wanted to add, and we'll, you'll see that release in about three weeks. It's a community watch, if you will. Um, the ability to report. So if, 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 Rob, you're in an area and you want to, say you see some guy that's a little strange, don't feel comfortable with it. But you don't feel comfortable dialing 911. That's what you, you do. It, take a picture, whatever the case may be, and people in that area all get alerted. Kind of a neighborhood watch. I, I, it's fascinating. I, I, the technology, the concepts are amazing. But what really hit home was this this idea that that you actually it's concrete, right? So safety, crime reduction, obviously, but also that the statistic that you that you help save four lives since yep. February. Can you can you give us as much information about that, uh, those sure. four lives as you can? Sure, so so one was in actually in Columbus, she was a nurse uh, leaving a hospital uh, late at night. This was actually two weeks after our application launched, which was blew my mind away. Um, the second was a police officer uh, in South Carolina. Uh, the third was, I actually don't know the third situation. I, I don't have it close to, I wasn't involved in it. And the fourth was actually um, a UCLA student leaving her apartment uh, was attacked in the stairwell. Uh, her phone dropped um, and uh, the police were deployed to that location were on site in 58 seconds. That's actually, uh, that actual audio is out on the, uh, the LA County Sheriff released the audio. It was that powerful. So the police being on site in 58 seconds. I mean. That's incredible. That's that's just incredible. It, it really is. It's a it's a game changer to me. It, that that ability exists because the attacker can't turn off the phone. He can't smash it because we already have the data. So you know you get to your destination. You take your finger off. You see a countdown. If you get to your destination fine, you put in your code. If you don't, the nuclear bomb goes off. And it, hey, I, I kudos to History Channel and Discovery Channel because that's where I got the idea for the dead man switch. So, but this is this is fast. So you take your thumb off, and and what information is transmitted? Your location. What location else is in unique ID? So the smallest packet of information is right. sent. We don't want to record audio. We don't want to record video. And it's simplicity. If the attacker is not going to go look in the phone and say hi, how are you? It's just not practical. Right? <laughs> Some will, but <laughs> well, it's just I won't. I, I don't accentuate. So we just send a unique identifier, tying them up to the database. So the information can go literally go out in a tenth of a millisecond, and we all we want is the location information and that person's who they are. So it's a unique identifier, and it goes up to our servers and it cross matches and says okay, then goes to our call center, and this all happens in literally milliseconds. And then from that pro time, when 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 the dead man switch is triggered and everything gets sent up to your call center. Do they make the 911 call? I mean, are you guys tied into the police or they make yeah. the 911 call? Yeah, we actually, we are the only company in the world that's developed a database and geofenced every 911 center in the United States. We're doing it abroad too. We're, Canada's next and actually Europe is our plans for January, I believe, Q1. Um, so we developed this. So the largest carriers in the world, AT&T, Sprint, uh, T-Mobile, uh, you know, the foreign uh, softing, they couldn't figure this out. We figured it out. I think that's why we were asked to come be part of Techstars, partially. Uh, it's because the largest security companies in the world could not figure this out. We geofenced every 911 center in the United States. It was a uh, enormous undertaking. No kidding. No kidding. And, and, and I guess maybe the carriers wouldn't do it because some of them are cross-boundary against, you know, where, where they don't have coverage. Um, and that seems a little weak if they don't. And... and so, well, if you dial nine one from your phone, yeah. right, and I attack you, unless you give them the address, they can't. They can't find you. They yeah. can't try to kill your position for thirty minutes. Yeah, that 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 crime has already been done. And we it's gone. Do it, we can do it in a tenth of a millisecond. 
So it that that's the that's the IP here is that there's a piece of the IP is is that you've got all of that data that gets sent up to your uh, to your call center. Your call center then calls nine one one. Family and your friends and family. Friends so, and family. So you're alerted in Canada if I'm attacked here in Chicago. So you're connected into the nine one one automatically closest to where I've been attacked, basically anywhere in the world. Hmm. And that's the, so you're gonna you're gonna be looking at a live map of where I'm at. So. Have you, you see accidents on the side of the road. How many calls do you think they get to 911? Yeah. Give me a guess. Yeah. I would say a low percentage get to 911. 70 to 90 phone calls for a, a fender bender. We have all your oh, friends. Oh, you're talking about like because of passersby? Yeah. That's how many? 70 to 90 for little small? For fender benders. Wow. So we figured, okay, let's loop in friends and family and our call center. So we have seven to eight people calling in to 911 at the exact same time saying this is where the person's at. I see you enable yeah, the network. Level 1 priority alert essentially. See but that 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 to me is incredible, right? Is that um so this woman in UC, at UCLA um she leaves her house, gets attacked, drops her phone, and then what yeah. that could do is signal her roommate, which is you know 10 feet away, which could be a disruptor, right? You you got it, man. I owe you $10 for softball. That was uh that's exactly right. That is so. So for 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 that kind of stuff, it, it's um, this is you. You may not be able to prevent this, but certainly you can accelerate this, and you can put the fear of people. And I wonder. I mean, at some point, are we going to be wearing badges or stickers saying, hey, you know, we are a lifeline response enabled to do not attack, right? Like, yeah, I, I hope it doesn't get to that. And the truth is that in every event, so you take your finger off. It's a twenty-second countdown comes on. At fourteen seconds, it plays a loud piercing, as loud as the decibels that can be played from a phone are played, in every event that is distracted or deterred the attacker and they have fled yeah. in every situation so far. We put prevent, alert, empower in those orders really because we want to prevent that attack, then we want to alert, and then we want to empower that person to feel safe with that application every time. So simultaneously to all those events, we're not counting on the attacker running away after he hears the alarm. We're trying to effectuate emergency responders and bridge the gap between safe and unsafe as quickly as possible. And that's it. Peter, it's amazing. It's amazing. So how, how did you end up on Rachel Ray? Um, how did I get up on Rachel Ray? Uh, we've been contacted by a lot of the major news outlets. Um, our community is very strong. Um, and and it, we grew very quickly. Um, and I believe that a lot of people have requested it. I don't remember the exact situation we filmed that nine months ago yeah and just aired it two weeks ago um we have similar shows lined up here in the next two weeks um but when we come into a town this is this technology you you can't replicate it because we own the ip right so people realize that um and this is this this can significantly reduce crime um i i, I listen i didn't walk away from investment banking to do this for for giggles um i had to feel like we were actually going to make a difference um you know raising a child you kind of want to leave a little bit of better mark than what you did for yourself um i think that has something to do with it um but my mind is not monetarily it's it's more about prevention uh i believe when you do something with passion i just think that by proxy everything is going to develop just the way you want to it, it, it must but it must be hard you know um because this is this is a when you start to think of altruism, when you start to think about um, doing this, you, you know, you've got a personal side to this. And you look at your seven-year-old daughter. I have twin seven-year-old boys. And it, it's oh. the biggest fear for me as well, right, is that i got to send them out into the real world at one point, right? And I want to be, a, as, I be able to protect them while I'm not there. So you're looking at your daughter. You're, you're looking at, at your nieces. You're looking at the incident, uh, you know, what, 35 years ago or 37 years ago in your, in your family. And, and you hear all this news, which is never good. It, it's very easy to get blinded by altruism in this in this instance. You have you have a, pr a solution to a problem that plagues yeah. has plagued humankind since uh, forever. And um, how how do you balance that? I mean, if you had to, and I don't know if you can answer this, Peter, but if you had to, if you realize that this isn't a business, what what, what do you do? Is that a crisis at that moment? Uh, you know, I, I believe it, it would be. Yeah. Um... I believe it would be. I mean, we haven't found that to date. Um, we've kind of validated it, um, but you never know. Listen, um, Warren Buffett is still 24 hours from being a 100% bankrupt. Uh, I, I take that model very seriously, um, and um, 
you know, yeah, there, there's definitely a part to this, but you have to have the financial means to be able to support it. Um, if the world's not ready for it, that's another story. Um, unfortunately, the world has spoken. Um, we didn't go to the number one app by design. That just happened as a result of press. Um, it, it, uh, you know, our CEO, Doug Lambert, um, came across to me. He said, it's called the showmance to me. He said, we, wanted, we, we did a test of the retail market. Did the retail market want it or did they just blow it off? Yeah. No, yeah. they made it the number one app in the app store. Um, to me, that's kind of the, the uh, validation that I needed. Um, kind of that last hurdle or crossing the chasm um, that I was challenged with to say, okay, is the market ready for something like this? And I said, it apparently is. How do you how do you market something like this where it's you know it is a a personal decision, and you don't want to be a fear mongerer. Um, so how how do you push this out? You know, question being just totally candid. You know, we do. There has to be a little sense of fear um, because um, people are just not educated. Um, you, you've got that Superman mentality. I'm six three, no, six two and a half now, uh, and I had to walk. <laughs> you already started to shrink, man. Is that? Yeah, I already started to shrink. So I had to walk across the University of Tennessee campus, and I'll tell you, I was actually nervous walking across what's known as the fort. I could have been grad day, and I'm a big guy. I'm 210. I'm pretty well built. Um, it was it was a fearful situation. The marketing is, you know, the retail's kind of, as I said, we're kind of put on the back burner, let it market itself. Uh, we've garnered the attention of all the major, without saying their names, uh, app store holders, mm -hmm. uh, both sides of Android and Apple. Um, when they believe in something, they usually get behind it, and that's what we're finding with our application. Um, and making design, um, we're a product-first company, um, and I mean that in every true sense, so we can go product and people in that order. And if we have a great, beautiful product that is functional, and I hate to be cliche and Steve Jobs it for you, but um, it, it will sell, and it will work. Um, my my component initially was functionality. Let's make it easy. Let's make it quick. Let's make it simple. And if it can accomplish those, then we can make it pretty. So now we made it pretty, and that's launching in three weeks. So, how, how many iterations did you guys have to go through on the product to be able to get it to this point? So simple. Where, where tweaking tweaking was a pain in the ass. We didn't launch for seven months. Uh, I want the Q and A testing. Uh, perfect uh, from a functionality. It's not too pretty looking right now. I actually did the design the best I could. I am an investment banker, mind you. <laughs> and I went from there. Uh, then we hired, we just, we have a new release coming out that's pretty and it's functional and it's the way it is. Um, you, you, we can't fail. It, 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 the product can't fail. Um, so that was the functionality piece is obviously product first, then people. Right. I know. It's, it's so fascinating because I know that Iteration happens, testing happens in order to be able to get it to the point where it's as simple as, because people will say, oh, of course, you just take your thumb off. What a, you know, anybody can think of that, but it takes these iterations of pain and, uh, and something breaking and something not working and it not working fast enough or getting caught in or complicated um, for you to get to that point where, look, this is the simplest route. It's just got to be when your thumb comes off the screen. You arm it by putting your thumb on the screen. You it just sounds ridiculous. Yeah, people say, well, Boy, why didn't I think about that? Yeah. Then about you're like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Like, why didn't I, you? But I did. So in your face, so, pal. Yeah, <laughs> you get a little bit of jealousy here and there with those situations, but um, there, that was a result really of uh, I think uh, History Channel and Discovery Channel for all the. Well, I mean, you know what happened in the 1950s? That there were dead man switches and there was men in bunkers. Yeah. That's yeah. really where that came from. It yeah. was the nuclear war where a bomb would go off if. Two men were shot, and both their button, both their hands came off at the same time. That's initially, you know, kind of my thinking is that I want that nuclear bomb to go off and not fail. It's amazing you know? what you get inspired by, right? I mean, this is an inspiration, but but right. ideas come that way, right? When you, when you've got the right mindset of openness and the right challenge in front of you, you're looking at the television screen like that's 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 it right there. That's like, it. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, uh huh. Oh, yeah, that's it. That's it. And then, well, then you have to prove it out. Yeah. Right. You have to say, okay, hey, does that make sense? And then, yeah, it's it's iteration after iteration after iteration. 
So how did you come up with the with the pricing for this? I mean, I, I don't know how you could put a price on your life and your safety. Yeah. So what's um, the balance? Well, we got to, we got told to price it at seventy nine dollars a year for our retail version. I'll talk about retail and then I'll go into uh, sure. the uh, the pricing for the enterprise. Um, and and I didn't feel comfortable with that because that means I'd be pricing people out in inner city. Um, and, you know, this is about being agnostic to uh, religion, race, color, whatever the case may be. I wanted to basically make it economically feasible for anyone to get it. Um, and you know, nine ninety nine you can definitely afford. Twenty one bucks you can definitely afford. You get into seventy nine dollars, you're talking. You know, the value proposition on a life is. You know, you you'd say you'd do anything for your kids, right? You'd spend fifteen thousand dollars to know that they would be safe. You would. But can you afford other things as a result of that? Probably not. So things have to give. I didn't want anybody to have to give or sacrifice anything. Um, the enterprise version is really based on the population, the size of the hospital or corporation. Um, so a large uh, corporation with fifty thousand employees will get up obviously a better discount. Um, you know, between three dollars and seven dollars or ten dollars based on the size. Uh, you know, fifty thousand person in the organization would have to spend three to four dollars. A small organization with a thousand people would have to spend eleven dollars. Right. And that right. comes with that preventative policing that we were talking about. So it's it's reshaping insurance now. Um, it's much like a car alarm, right? You're equipped, liability, right? All the major insurance companies, VCs came after us. Um, I didn't want to play in that space. I wanted to have it agnostic to that um, and not have it affected by the insurance premiums just yet um, until I have, obviously, sequential data to support all that. It, it has huge ramifications for all of these things, as you said, around neighborhoods. Uh, you know, uh, early on in, in my driving life, I had a club. You know, you remember the club on your car? Because it, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. it, it, it was a preventative measure, right? So maybe your window wouldn't get smashed because the club was on the steering wheel. Um, yeah. it, it didn't do anything to help, you know, save your car, but it was a deterrent, ultimately. And and I got I got insurance benefits from having the club. It was actually, do you have a club? Yes. And it gave me insurance benefits. But uh, so you start to see the ramifications of this and, and that, that kind of melting pot of, of mobile and location and, and data and insurance and uh, real estate numbers and, and prices of homes and, and ratings of uh, neighborhoods and all these kind of things. Um, and then patrolling, you know, it's effective targeted patrolling of neighborhoods with higher crime rates or higher people with their, you know, concern of their safety, right? You just see this, these, these ripple effects that, that are, are quite considerable. Do you, do you think like that? Or do you think one step forward, got to put my head down, take that next step, which is make the app uh, very pretty, keep, make sure that it's functional, enterprise, and then at some point you'll wake up one day, maybe it's a year from now, maybe it's 10 years from now, 10 million users, you're affecting change? Um, you know, I have to think that way. Um, I, I have, I just do. It's, it's the way I think. I, if I don't think that way, um, the product, you know, somebody asked this yesterday in a meeting, they said, who owns the product? I'm like, and everybody turned to me. Uh, it doesn't get past me um, if I don't think that the product's going to be make a difference. Um, we look at this. You had said, "Do I think that way? Do I think that far out?" Yeah, I have to. I have two two jobs and responsibilities uh, to my employees, uh, to the people that are using the application, and to my shareholders. Right? I have to make sure that I think that way. And uh, if a CEO is doing his good job, he's delegating correctly. Right? He's uh, putting the right management team in place. We recruited the uh, top 15 best-selling app COO, Hipstamatic CEO, Doug Lambert. Um, we're, we've got uh, Giacomo Listi, our CIO. He's a former Walgreens guy that helped build the uh, loyalty program, right? He's one of the architects behind that. These are powerful people. Um, they're not kids. Uh, Joe Vizzani, he's our youngest at 28. He's responsible for the analytics around the intelligence. They've got to feed me that data, and I've got to make the best decision. Um, not saying I always make the perfect decision. Um, a lot of times my team disagrees with me. Um, but ultimately I collect that data, and I have a reservoir that I sit there and I say, okay, these are the opportunities that we have. Where can we effectuate change quickly? Where can the public benefit the most from this? And that's how I think about it. 
I, I like that because you got to keep one foot. I mean, one foot uh, firmly on the ground, and then you've got to also be able to think about the long-term vision for this. Because you know, um, this is where investment comes in, where you got to fuel that future, that growth. Um, is it has it been hard as you're going out for your Series A? Has it been hard to find uh, or explain the idea, or do people just grasp this because of the society, the world we live in? Um, they grasp it as soon as I show them. It's an educational process. So um, if, if you go one-on-one with somebody, it's obviously the best spot. And I'm not even talking venture or VC. Anybody. Or yeah. Anybody. Um, example, we were at Loyola University in Chicago, a Catholic uh, Jesuit school. And we went out to a sorority, the Panhellenic community. And um, there was 394 people in the room. And within 15 minutes, 393 of them downloaded the application because I was able to show them the simple thing of the finger. Um, the VCs get it. Uh, there are no, they're, they're no dummies. Uh, there's no question about it. They're, they're there for a reason. Um, sometimes they get caught up in the user data. Um, we don't consider a user, <coughs> excuse me, we don't consider um, a user um, to be actual in our opinion unless they use it three times a year. Um, they don't consider a user unless they use it 20, 30 times a year. Hmm. And that's the misnomer about how they look at the world because they're so used to, let's do WhatsApp, let's do Facebook that we're addicted to. This is an insurance policy in addition to what you already have. Now we're adding that community search to make it a little bit more give and pull. So we're not just pulling, we're providing as well. So it's not, unfortunately, it's not satisfactory enough for Susie to walk down the street, get home safe using the app. She needs more from it. So she, needs to take, she needs to take, take, uh, to take uh, photographs and uh, six-second videos every single day from it. And, oh, by the yeah. way, it's, it's, it's you're safe. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, by the way, I, uh, so, so we had to add that piece of really the functionality of saying, hey, we get, we got to add a little bit more provide at this point to it, too. So that's what we're doing. Yeah, that's, that's a really in- interesting, uh, you know, illustration of, of kind of the, the shift here is because you're right. What is a life worth? Like it, you guys have saved four lives as a result of this. Yeah. Now that would mean I'm opening my pocket to you because this is taxable. You have actually decreased crime at a university as a result of using your application. That's like yeah. those are those are as concrete as you can possibly get. You saved a life, four yeah. of them, and then but countless you, of others. I remember VC venture capital was yeah. right. So, yeah. gotta remember that there, there's do-gooders out there. Um, and you have to recognize who those people are. I mean, here's another thing Texters talk, taught me. Um, do not deal with assholes. Right? <laughs> do not run, run, run. Be graceful. Say thank you for your time. Probably not the best fit. And walk away. Instead of the, the constant beat up and the constant questions that are really just trying to find reasons to not invest. Right. If they're asking those types of questions, find the reasons why to invest. And then reserve that. So that is something that they've, you know, Brad Feld, uh, if you read all his things, um, Brad is a super duper awesome guy. I mean, really is. I, I haven't had that much personal, but I read his posts. I mean, he's blogging, posting, and writing a book all within 15 minutes. And that's, that's more I could do in 48 hours. So he has that ability, right? He, he said that, do not deal with assholes, right? I mean, there's, there's enough good people out there um, and you just got to find them and you got to dig under the hood a little bit to find those folks. Yeah, they are out there. And you've got to hope that the majority of the people that you're dealing with are good people and not the assholes, as you say. And I think that that's, you know, it's evident about the people you hang out. But I, I'm, I'm so interested in this. I would love to have you back on to talk about the evolution of the technology as you've started to release this, and you get you save more lives, and and people wake up, and maybe you close your Series A and, and see the impact of that on the business, and and as you go through this kind of meteoric growth that you, you are about to embark on, uh, if you don't mind, I will reach back out and, and get you back on. Yeah, cool? I would love to tell you today, and, and as we stop recording, I'll tell you a little bit more. But um, yes, that's all. I'm just trying to get through this so I can hear. Right, uh, I want to hit end. Where do we send people? So th- there's ultimately a, a couple of ways to get to, to, to use your, the services. Obviously, you can if you're a consumer, you go to the app stores, and if you're an enterprise, yep. you go to the website. Where, where should we yep. send people? Yep. Go to www.llresponse.com. Um, be happy to talk to you. We're we're currently in our Series A. Um, we've hard circled X number of dollars. Uh, we're doing a three million dollar round, and we've circled roughly about one point eight million dollars. Uh, we have not picked the lead again. This is another Techstars thing. They said. 
take your time, be pragmatic about it, and pick the people that are going to be with you for the long haul. And that's what we're doing. So we elected to not push anything. Love to take the money in today, but we said there's no reason to. We've got a nice runway, nice uh, cash coming in from uh, receivables, and we're totally okay. Just goes to show you, like you, you pick the right service, you pick the right thing, you do the research that is necessary in order to be able to to make sure that this is an industry that can make some earn some revenue. You're patient because you've been doing this for since uh, you know ideating it. You've been doing this for over four years, and now it's starting to emerge. It's like it's a new company. You say you launched a year ago, um, yeah. but but done like on a solid foundation. You've emerged. You were the top lifestyle app, paid top grossing That's lifestyle app. On the yeah. App Store, uh, and and it's just it's sequence, right? So those of you out there who are asking like how how do you do it? Well, here's a perfect example of how you do it. You have a great business idea, or you have a great idea that solves a massive problem that affects all of us. I don't care what you say; it affects every single one of us. And you start to apply technology on that, and then you build the business with a revenue model, and look what happens. And it doesn't happen in 24 hours. It doesn't happen like all these overnight successes because those are the corner cases. This is how you build a company out of success. Yeah, this is it. Can, can, I, can I throw one thing out there? Sure. You know, I, I talked to a great group, uh, Origin Ventures, uh, smart guys, and um, they're out of Chicago. And, and they told me something that was very powerful to me. They had said, look at what we did. We invested in Grubhub seven years ago. Seven years so ago. Yeah, we're long-term partners. These, there, there are, there's the one hit wonders don't actually happen. WhatsApp did not happen overnight. No. It didn't. Um, and I think people have dreams of grandeur that are just, I think they're put together by things that are not actually accurate. I think that they just hear, oh, they only hear, hey, Series A came in at $20 million. Um, we got a valuation of $18 billion on, on 400,000 revenue. Read it, the fine print is all I can suggest. Yeah. Read the fine print and take your time. It's funny they go to a, from A to C, but forget B, right? Like uh, B and B is the is where all the sweat and the hurt and the pain happens, right? You yourself said it as we opened this episode, and, and I'll close with it. It said, I mean, you you went from living well above the poverty line to living well below the poverty line as a result of this decision, which is illogical, but that's what it takes. That's this that's the middle piece where it's muddy. The fog of war, it's entrepreneurship, it is painful. It is dragging your knuckles on the ground until you bleed and then continuing to do it. It's it's and people wonder why. It's because you're building a business. You're not building a fad, a passing fling, or something that you don't give a damn about. And that's what I got from you, Peter. It's amazing what you're doing with uh, Lifeline. I really appreciate your time here. We really appreciate it too. Been speaking with uh, Peter Cahill, who is the founder of Lifeline Response. Go to llresponse.com. They're based out of Chicago. Who knows for how long? We'll, we'll see. Uh, you know, winters in Chicago. I know. Well, winters in Chicago are like uh, winters in Chicago is like a winter in Ottawa. Yeah, you know, it, I, I completely understand. Months away from that, I don't even think about that. Right? <laughs> it's, it's so true. Go to llresponse.com for more information. Peter, I thank you for being a guest on Tether.tv. Folks out there listening, wherever you are, whatever you are doing, I thank you for tuning in this far into the episode. It means you really like it. I'd appreciate it if you would actually just go to wherever you found this, whatever app store, whatever uh, podcast store you found this, give us a review. Reach out to me, Robin on Tether.tv. If you have any questions or suggestions, I'd love to hear from you. We'll see you next time on Untether.tv.